0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Will Coolidge back onto the show, and we're going to be discussing a part two update to his ACL and meniscus repair journey. So Will and I have been doing this series where about every month or every other month, we're gonna be dropping some insight from Will on how he's feeling, how he's doing, and all that sort of thing, and the goal here is to paint a picture for you, the listener, of what it would be like to go through an ACL recovery journey, and naturally, if you're someone who unfortunately tears their ACL, this kind of gives you something, uh, some kind of clue as to what to expect uh, through that process, so we're really trying to do a good job of pair Will's thoughts and feelings as we go throughout the process with some of the rehab considerations. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Will, welcome back for part two of the series on the continuation of your ACL and meniscus rehab.
1: It's good to be back. We've made a lot of progress, so I'm happy right where we're at. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a little bit more exciting than the first part where we were squeezing the quad, heel popping, and just extension, extension, extension. Um, But just to kind of recap there, we previously left off with some of that initial phase rehab considerations. And we talked about how it's actually safe to start, you know, PT interventions within the first 24 hours of surgery. And we also talked about that initial rehab goals and what that looked like for you, how you were feeling in the moment. Just to kind of recap here, would you mind kind of walking us through our journey through the month of January here?
1: January we would be you know like over a month a four four weeks five weeks six weeks out uh, and that's where we you know have those big milestones so like that's where I started to drive again and uh and being able to like you know take my first steps and start to wait there and um and like you know being able to not do, do those things for like a month you, you know you a, you appreciate it so much more because so you're like oh I can walk. I can do stuff, um, and and two, just like being able to like be back in the world instead of having to like be so limited in what I can do. Like being able to go back to work and have the freedom to like not rely on someone to take me to the grocery store. Like <laughs> those were those were big things for me.
0: <laughs> I I do have to admit though that video you sent me of you on the hover around in the grocery store was absolutely hilarious.
1: No, there were definitely some perks. There are definitely some perks of being injured. <laughs>
0: I would, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a perk, but it was, yeah. it was humorous nonetheless. Um, and I give you a lot of credit for staying good hearted throughout that process because, as I'm sure you remember all too well, uh, week three, four, five, and six are very challenging because it's still too early to fully weight bear and walk normally on a meniscus repair. We have to wait until week six from a timeline standpoint for most protocols. So walk me through what was going on in your head during that point where it was literally just continuing to hit extension, continuing to get a little bit more range of motion, but ultimately a rather boring time, I'll say.
1: It was definitely like something where you have to sit back and just be patient, you know, and realize like um, you're just trying to get a little bit better than you were yesterday, you know, like 1% better uh, every single day. And that's just been kind of my mindset through the whole process is just like, You know, like I know it's going to be a long process overall to be all the way back, but like, but I'm going to get through it. You know what I mean? So, you know, for me, I can stay positive because like, you know, I know this, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to get through this. It's just going to take some time. So just focus on every single day getting a little bit better. And and that's kind of what helped me get through that, like really boring phase where you can't even bend. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Small milestones, small steps forward every single time. Um, and I think that's really the name of the game when it comes to that initial phase rehab is high frequency, low intensity, and just small improvement each time. Uh, what would you say the most challenging part of that was for you? Was it the coveted heel pop or was it some of the other different things that we did,
1: or was it more of the mental struggle? Well, physically it was definitely, definitely that freaking heel pop. And, and, and you know, like, just like seeing my quad and just have, or, you know, seeing that I have no more quad just because the muscles are gone. Like, you know, that was just frustrating. It's like, I've never, I've never like seen that before. Like having, or like being, you know, being incapacitated by like not having muscle, it was just weird. And so that was kind of frustrating, but yeah, the mental, and you know, that plays in the mental aspect of it where it's just like, it's so hard to do a simple task and that's infuriating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think you weighed yourself every single time you're in the clinic. And I think every time you're a little bit more unhappy,
1: it's, it's, it was infuriating. But hey, we're on the come up now. We're on the yeah. come up now.
0: <laughs> on the way back up. That's good. Um, and would you say that there was anything that surprised you during that time? Anything that kind of caught you off guard?
1: Probably nothing really specific. I mean, I guess it's just, it was just weird. You know, it's like a new experience of like, having to relearn how to use your legs and like how to re rele- like something as simple as like a heel pop where it's like it's routine like you don't you don't have to work on that normally and then and doing it here it's just it's seemingly impossible and it's just it's a weird feeling to have to like you know go through that but you know like I've, I've told you this like you know adversity is how we grow and that's like my mental thought on it all the time so that's helped pl- a lot
0: yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, on one hand, you've probably never hit that much quadricep strengthening to that level. I mean, literally about five or six weeks of just straight quad strengthening over and over and over again. Now I get it's still frustrating from an atrophy standpoint, watching some things disappear. And we certainly do the best that we can with, you know, newer modalities and techniques like BFR and high level NMES. Um, but some of that stuff is just sort of difficult to, um you know, prevent due to the quad inhibition that we typically get from an ACL reconstruction. And, um, you know, that's certainly why you felt so much challenge with that heel pop. And that's certainly why we tried to start as early as we possibly could, because the sooner you get that thing firing, the better you're going to feel. And, you know, the easier the rest of the pieces fall into place. I would say that kind of takes us through January for the most part is we really continued to progress with quadricep strengthening, range of motion, making sure that we hit any kind of criteria that we needed to hit in order to hit that next phase of rehab, which we got to about 90 degrees of passive flexion range of motion, roughly. We had good passive extension range of motion. We had the grind, but we eventually did get the heel pop. And obviously the straight leg raise w- looked good without lag. Um, I still laugh every time I see that video of your first straight leg raise with you basically screaming uh, through the entire rep. Um <laughs> Which I mean, it's exciting to be at the point now where you get out of that initial phase, and then you progress into what we call phase two, which for any th- time that there's like a meniscus involved, and there's weight bearing precautions, that's usually around the six week mark. And that's when we start to work on gait normalization and progress towards full weight bearing.
1: How do you feel like that went for you in that phase? I think, um I think definitely like taking my first steps. Like, I remember, you know, I remember the day we first tried walking and like, like I was just mentally like afraid, you know what I mean? Like I was just like, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. You know, I just kept relying on the crutch and, um, and, you know, like we've done the steps necessary, you know, and I knew that I just, I like I knew I should be fine and you told me I should be fine and I, I was fine, but I just like, it was so hard to break that, that mental barrier. um, And then actually So we didn't get like full walking that day. And then I think it was by, so that was like a Wednesday. And by Friday, like, I was like, all right, you need to walk. Like, I just, was like, do it. And so I started practicing more and, and just like everything, like, you know, high frequency, you know, low, low intensity. Like, I just try to keep taking little steps, little steps. And, and now we're getting like almost normal gait again
0: you know, plain and simple, I think that the mental side of it is the most challenging, because it's scary to do something for the first time, you haven't, you know, you haven't done it in about six weeks time. How did you look to mentally overcome that obstacle? Because that's something that I hear from a lot of people.
1: It's one of those things where, at least, you know, from for me, with my background of like, you know, having an understanding of the body and how it works, like, like I got in the physiological and just like, the mechanical sense like I knew I could I could do it you know physically like I should be able to do it at least and so for me that helped a lot with the mental being able to just be like all right just just do it just try and you know you're not going to know if you don't try so that was kind of just my thought process going through is you just almost have to like make yourself do it you know what I mean
0: yeah face your fears head on for lack of a better way to put it Um, And then, I mean, typically the way I look to progress people with a gait progression is we ditch the brace, which is always a fun time. Uh, And then after we ditch the brace, we look to keep the crutches until the gait is a little bit more normalized. Now, in your case, you had the ability to walk with a good gait pattern. It's just for some reason, when you pick up the speed a little bit, you, you almost like lose a conscious connection of it. Um, And I know that once someone's gait looks good and we say, look, you know, you're walking good, you're doing everything we need you to do. So there's not necessarily a need for the crutches. Once we get to that point, I know that no matter what I do, I'm probably not going to get someone back on the crutches. Um, So even though it still looks a little, I'll say sus for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, that's that's the modern terminology, I guess, when you get going on a real fast walk when you actually walk out, I, I would call it a normal speed, uh, normal gait speed, keeping up with like my kind of pace, then you're actually able to display normal and proper gait mechanics, which is what I look for. Um, now, I'm, as far as the fast walking um, goes, maybe maybe uh, don't be so late to things, buddy.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's just funny. I think I'm just always in a hurry. It's funny because, you know, I talk about being like patient but yeah. yet i feel like sometimes i'm the most impatient person you know like i just i want to do everything in a hurry i want to go 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 I, i've always been like that um but but it has forced me you know i'm i'm always getting yelled at by you and other people like bend your knee will bend your knee will cuz i'm just going too fast i stop thinking about it and and i and it it forces me to slow down which i need to do i need to slow down and, and focus on it and and i've been working on it every day now <laughs> and i think it's getting better like next time you see me it's going to be better.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's a good answer. (laughs) Um, And obviously the other piece to that too was the fact that the swelling went away when it did. Um, So as we previously talked, that's one of the big things we try and get a handle on throughout the rehab process is I don't like it when someone continues to display a swollen, irritated knee into mid or late stage rehab. Ideally that goes away very quickly. And once it does, the rest of the pieces tend to fall right into place. And that was certainly the case with you, is, you know, the edema management was key early on in it certainly helped out in getting us to this phase. And now we're at a point where you can walk on your knee all day long and you're not really ending your day with a ton of swelling. You don't feel the need to ice it for hours and hours. We don't necessarily need to throw you in, you know, a compression boot type thing for 30 plus minutes in order to manage edema. I know it feels great to you, um, but it's not necessarily something that's required at this stage because the swelling has been managed so well Uh, and I do think that's why your flexion range of motion your bending range of motion came back as easily and quickly as it did because for a lot of people uh, a lot of patients who get that ALL that you had as well that really tightens things up Um, and we typically have to spend more time on flexion and I mean we still chased it for a little while but it certainly came back easier than the extension did I'd say yeah I would agree and obviously, the flexion is probably a must—much more comfortable position for you than the extension
1: was. Gosh, yeah, I'll never forget the first day that we let my knee bend, Ugh, like that. Just that sense of relief from it being extended so long, and and now, now you know I'm always bending it. Um, but I'm I'm still working on extension. Don't worry, don't worry. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean it feels it feels good to be able to just like sit in a chair normally definitely
0: yeah and um you know again that's something that i really don't allow people to do until they've hit those extension goals is we really want to get that extension back first. Uh, And I know that different people have different approaches and philosophies to knee rehab. And it really depends a lot on the procedure too, right? You know, if someone had a knee replacement, then yeah, I want a knee replacement sitting normally as early as they can. Um, But ACLs are certainly a different game than something like a knee replacement and getting that extension range of motion back early and quickly is definitely one of the keys. It kind of takes us up to where we're at now. We talked about that gate process and how we kind of got that back, and we talked about how we really handled the swelling from a good level early on, and that helped us out a ton. Uh, where would you say that you feel like you're at now? I know where you're at, but where do you feel like you're at?
1: I feel like I'm I'm at a good spot. Um, I think like you know now i'm i'm almost gonna, i'm getting excited to like start to like load or you know bend my leg more and do more repetition trying to build that muscle back so i can you know i'm starting to see it and that's exciting so you know i'm looking forward to like you know continuing with growing that and but honestly also at the same time uh i do like it's 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 going to be i know it's going to be hard because i'm going to be able to do certain things but not everything to an extent So like, you know, like I still won't be able to kick a, you know, kick the soccer ball and like jog around, you know what I mean? But, but I can still go to it and maybe like, you know, put my foot on the ball and move it or whatever. So it's going to be still that like patient process, but I'm excited to like start building that back up. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, this is
0: arguably one of the more challenging phases of rehab for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of the main ones is you're walking better and you're feeling pretty good over and all. You're not in a whole lot of pain. You're not in a whole lot of discomfort. And ultimately, you're not required to wear a brace. You're able to sleep a little bit more normal. You're back to doing a lot of different things that we want you to be able to do. Um, But as a result, people tend to look at this phase and say, oh, well, now I can do X or Y or Z. Because I'm feeling good. And that becomes another mental challenge to have to pump the brakes on things, um, such as sporting activity or running or jumping, um, because we really need a significantly higher level of strength before we get back to that point. Um, now and that's ultimately where we're kind of in this phase of rehab is we're getting back a lot of that quad strength and hamstring strength and overall bulk that we lost during that time Um, which as you felt on Wednesday I think it was this is such a fun time when we get to make your entire leg shake and um you know, we start to incorporate some of these different ISO load type things for rebuilding that tendon that we lost and so on.
1: Yeah, that leg shake was gnarly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's exciting though, because like, you know, because this is when you can see like a little more tangible results of like, you know, muscle and strength and, you know, you can gauge how much I'm lifting, whatever, and that's going to be exciting to get into again.
0: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, this is what we call the initial strengthening phase or what I should call the initial strengthening phase where it's really laying a foundation. So crushing functional movements and making sure they look good, making sure we can do a double leg squat to a bench with minimal to no shift making sure the gait stays as normal as we can get it, making sure that we crush simple things such as a step-up, step-down pattern, a lunge pattern, even a hinge pattern, uh, and making sure that we load uh, enough to get adaptation, but not too much to the point where we re-provoke inflammation and swelling in the joint because then we actually start to go backwards uh, in a way. Yes, we would get more muscle load, But by the same point, I don't want you moving around and doing things on an irritated knee. Um, And really, it's a case by case, day by day progression with that. Um, But ultimately, we look to load um, as much as we can with uh, avoiding that inflammation in the knee and then continuing to progress that because when you stop and think about it, Usually sometime between month three and month four is when we look to start a return to run progression. Now, typically it's closer to month three with a post-op ACL, and it's closer to month four with a post-op meniscus repair, and you're lucky enough to have both of them. Um, So typically at that point, we're looking closer to the four-month period um, before return to run, but obviously we still have a lot of strength work to do before that happens cannot wait
1: for that first day
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say i give everyone a very similar return to run progression i'm a big fan of a certain protocol uh for return to run and almost every time people just go a little bit further than the level one usually calls for because for some reason it feels good to be outside doing that stuff again
1: and it'll be springtime then so i can't wait (laughs)
0: Now, I know that you're a strength coach and you have a background in helping other athletes with strength and performance, and you have probably subjected yourself to some brutal leg days in the past. Has anything ever felt quite like the shakes and quakes that you were experiencing uh, the other day when we were doing some of the different lunge-type variations and step-type variations?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was um, probably not to the maybe honestly probably not to the extent of what we were going through the other day. I mean, it, it was the shakingness definitely not. That was just insane. Like I've never experienced. It was like a it was like my leg was having an earthquake. It was so weird, and it was so like frustrating not being able to control it like that. So like not being able like you know lacking that control there in that moment was like just so weird and almost fr- you know very frustrating. So I've never experienced that. However, I've definitely pushed you know myself to a point of of fatigue and exhaustion, just more whole body than just my one leg. <laughs> Do you know what the shaking and quaking response is? The um nutrients to fire the muscle properly.
0: Um. So it becomes more of from what I've seen in the research. The best explanation I can give is it's a battle between the muscle spindles and Golgi tendon organs. Uh, So those two receptors, we'll call them different types, monitor muscle force or load and muscle length. And essentially they oppose one another. One will tell you we have too much force. One will tell you we don't have enough force. Um, And obviously muscle length goes into play with that as well. So when we've had a period of time where we haven't really been able to load and go into certain positions, um, the body, as smart and amazing and incredible as it is, um, has a fairly short-term memory sometimes. And it sort of forgets how to maintain strength and control in certain positions. So when we put you there, we get this internal battle between those two receptors of do we have enough force? Do we not have enough force? Is the muscle too short? Is the muscle too long? And that response, the um, again, and this is based on the literature that I've reviewed and everything that I've seen thus far, that response seems to be some type of motor unit recruitment, refiring, and your body relearning how to maintain strength and control in that position, because through repetition and repeated exposure, we get a lot less shakiness and quakiness, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, in those positions, which is obviously music to your ears, because you don't want your whole leg to shake uncontrollably every time you try to do a lunge. Um, but it's certainly a way to show that we still have a little bit more strengthening and work to do uh, in that position. And that's why I like to incorporate so many of those isometric holds like we were, is we don't necessarily have a great concentric, eccentric control in that motion yet. Um, so it doesn't really make sense to move through areas that we don't have good control and support in, in my opinion, until we've hit them with an ISO load standpoint. And that ISO load is actually gonna do you a number of favors for tendon loading as well, because as we previously mentioned, uh, they kind of borrowed a middle third of that patellar tendon for something important. That little uh, ACL thingy. <laughs> Now, for future athletes that you work with on a strength and conditioning side, if they're going through something like you're going through, what insight or advice would you offer them? Or, you know, what has going through the past month, month and a half now really taught you about coaching and everything that you do on a day-to-day
1: basis? For one, definitely, you know, gives me a, a greater appreciation for, you know, being able to do daily tasks. like fluidly so, you know being able to like run and jog and especially in you know like like i said my my field being able to play soccer or you know being able to pick up a weight for a kid or something like that you know what i mean like uh being able to appreciate those things um that's probably like the biggest thing i've gotten through with it or out of it but also just um just slightly getting better every day and um and just understanding that it's going to take a while, but it won't be the end of the world. That's really just the way that you have to look through this.
0: Anything over the past four to six weeks that you feel should have been done differently or you would have liked to have seen done differently or better? Or, you know, is there anything that you would say um, didn't go as you expected or hoped or thought
1: it would? Uh, I just, uh, I guess I just didn't realize, you know, I can tell you go through it, you know, how, how difficult the little things will be, you know, like, like I said, like, you know, that whole like knee shaking thing, that was just so weird, like not having the control because I've never experienced it that before. So, you know, that it's just, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like you just go through things and that's just, you know, normal life. So you go through things and you learn from them and you, and you move on. And, and that's just kind of like how I've been thinking about it the past couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it certainly can catch people off guard of how challenging some of those simple things can be. Um, You know, especially you mentioned the shakiness, but also the squat. Um, I think a lot of people, until you put them in front of a mirror, don't realize how much they will shift away from the quote unquote operated leg um, just because they're hesitant to put weight through it or bear weight through it on some kind of double leg uh, task like that. And, um, you know, over time it does normalize and it does get better, um, but it does certainly seem to catch people off guard in the moment of, hey, you know, every time I go to sit down and stand up, I'm shifting to one side.
1: Yeah, I kind of experienced that, but I look for that every day when coaching (laughs) these kids. So for me, it was like, all right, I know what to do. So um, I really try and not do it.
0: (laughs) But it's a lot of mental focus and a lot of
1: mental effort.
0: Very much so. <laughs> it's something that is usually a subconscious type effort there. Um, and, you know, the other things I guess we should probably share is you're certainly progressing as expected at this point. I mean, the flexion range of motion looks very good. You're getting full revolutions on a bicycle, um, your uh, uh, exercise bike, I should probably add that in. You're not out biking on the road yet. At least I certainly hope you're not. Nope, nope, not doing that. (laughs) Okay, good answer. Um, And, you know, from a strengthening standpoint, we are getting everything back to where it needs to be. Um, There's not really been a whole lot of, I would say, pain complaints outside of some of that anterior knee pain that we previously discussed, which tends to be pretty common, I would say, in the uh, post-op patellar tendon patient. And it does go away and it does get better. It's just We kind of have to load the quad and sometimes that irritates the tendons that they um, took a little piece of to make a new graft because that's what the tendons do they transmit force from the muscle to the bone Mm -hmm. um So overall, I'd say that we are certainly on pace at this point for where we need to be. Um, It's certainly a more difficult rehab process when the presence of a meniscus repair is introduced with the ACL um, because of that non-weight-bearing phase that we discussed. However, if you're going to tear your ACL and your meniscus together, that's probably not necessarily always a bad thing. Because when they have to drill tunnels in the bone to construct a new ACL graft, uh, that typically leads to more blood in the joint, and that allows the meniscus to heal a little bit better. Um, And if you want a little bit more on that mechanism, you can actually listen to our podcast with uh, Dr. James Dries, or you could listen to our podcast with Dr. Andreas Gamal, where we actually discuss that uh, in quite detail, actually. Well, um, for people listening, do you have any kind of closing thoughts, closing remarks or anything else you want to share about that progression from early to slightly mid-stage ACL rehab?
1: Um, probably just reiterate what I've been saying the whole time, you know, like it's, you just got to be patient. I mean, you're going to have new challenges every single phase. Um, and you know, it's, it's an opportunity to learn how to relearn or maybe learn something you didn't know about yourself. Um. And uh, I think it's really cool. And you just have to see it as an opportunity to grow instead of just, you know, complaining about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. You know, at the end of the day, what you put into this is what you're going to get out of it. And the people who typically do the best from an ACL reconstruction or meniscus repair, or really any kind of knee procedure are the ones who put the most effort into it, but put the most smart effort into it, I should say, um, because we don't want to go out and start doing stupid stuff too early. uh, And we also don't want to do something that causes inflammation and irritation of the knee to the point of, you know, now we've got a massive amount of swelling to deal with. Now range of motion becomes painful and limited and so on. So it's certainly a smart progression but it's a progression that requires a lot of thought and effort and a lot of time day in and day out, because I know I still make you do those heel pops every single day, which I know you hate, but that's the necessary evil. Yep. 1% better every day, every day. And Will, maybe people haven't listened to part one yet, or maybe they haven't seen you on the
1: Instagram. Where can people find out more about you at? Uh, Well, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Willcool. cool uh, 10 or will underscore cool 10, uh, also, uh, at the athlete Academy where, uh, we focus on, uh, changing the Eastern shore with, uh, you know, through our athletic strength and conditioning. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what we do. And, uh, hopefully you guys can check out part one and enjoy part two. Yeah. And for people who aren't
0: familiar with the athlete Academy over there in, uh, like the Salisbury Fruitland, Maryland area, I'll call it and uh Berlin Maryland what can you tell people about that
1: well it is the premier training facility for youth development on the eastern shore and uh we we believe on the east coast you know we we focus in on uh the specific population of you know high school um we also train college adult and middle school athletes and just people that are looking to um you know be a part of the culture that we set which is you know, setting goals and achieving them, you know, and it's about training and it's about the process and learning to love the process and, and finding a new goal at once you reach your, your previous one. So, you know, you know, for a lot of these kids, their goal is to play in college and they come in and they work hard and they see, you know, the change that they're making in their athletic development translate to the field and and hopefully that produces the goal that they want. You know what I mean? So it's really cool to be able to like inspire youth and and also work with older population that, you know, is just looking to be better and improve every day.
0: I I completely agree with that everything you said there, Will. It's certainly a premier uh, destination type place on the Eastern Shore. And I say that in the sense that You're probably one of the only strength and conditioning facilities I've seen and worked with that has their own evaluation process where you actually sit down and evaluate the way that someone moves, but also talking with them about their specific goals and where they're currently at, what they're currently doing and where they want to be. And I also really like that it's a holistic type of model in the sense that you don't just address the training considerations, but you also address the nutrition considerations because Cody's a certified nutrition coach uh, and you're also addressing a lot of the mindset of an athlete as well, which is something we talked about with Ryan on the podcast is you're not just creating, you know, a one to 2% better athlete or a one to 2% lower injury risk through training. You're also creating a lot of lifelong habits and a culture that will stick with people beyond the time that they spend with you.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that goes to, you know, the, the big thing that a lot of people talk about with our facility is, uh, the family aspect and the, the, the welcomingness uh, that, you know, we try to instill um, in every training session and, uh, and, you know, being a part of the uh, hashtag created by culture that we love to uh, that we love to talk about. So, you know, it's all about just, it's a mental thing. Like you said, it's all about a mentality and, uh, and just striving to improve and achieve goals.
0: Completely agree there. Well, uh, so, as always, it's a pleasure. I feel like I see you all the time lately for some reason. Um, and we'll have to be keeping everyone up to date for another podcast update and maybe some more frequent social media updates here through the remainder of our time together because we've still got a long road ahead of us.
1: Yes, sir. Co- seven more months? <laughs>
0: but <by> who's counting? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: well, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Broad Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.